in uh, talking about evangelism and discipleship, I want to share what a great joy it is in my heart to see one Muslim saved. And over the years, the Lord has blessed me with many, many Muslims from many nations around the world, uh, even up to a week and two weeks ago and a month ago. And I'm delighted to tell you that leading a Muslim to Christ is one of my greatest joys. But this joy is also overshadowed by many of these people uh, leave the faith, uh, backslide, and uh, turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ after they have tasted the beauty of Christ. Some of them have amazing testimonies where Jesus appears to them in dreams and visions. Their lives are changed and transformed. And down the road, a year or two or three later, we find them fall away. And one of the greatest reasons for that is lack of true discipleship. So for the rest of this course, we're going to emphasize the importance of discipleship. Let's look first at the problem why many return or uh, leave the faith after having tasted Jesus Christ. One of the problems is disillusionment. Uh, many come to Christ under false uh, assumptions. They uh, are told that if you pray the sinner's prayer, your sins will be forgiven. Uh, and some of them get the impression that uh, they'll never sin again. Their hearts are going to be cleansed, they, get a, they become new creatures. And so when they are tempted and they begin to uh, fall into temptations often, uh, they get discouraged and disillusioned and they fall away. Uh, another problem is immaturity. Um, I have known converts who 10 years and 15 years after their conversion, they still don't know the scripture. They still uh, haven't developed the Christian character or the disciplines of the Christian faith. And so they're immature and they cannot handle uh, problems of this world and temptations of this world. So they grow up, even though physically they're grown up and uh, age, but spiritually they're still babies and immature. And I've discovered that some of them have a perpetual immaturity because when they reach a point and they have not yet been discipled or trained, they become untrainable or unteachable. And some of them uh, get to positions of leadership so here they are leading others, and yet they themselves are immature. And uh, another issue is that uh, the missionary or the Christian worker gives too much attention to a Muslim convert. They put them on a pedestal, use them as trophies, take them from church to church to speak, uh, to tell their testimony, which is all understandable and good. I've had to restrain myself many times from taking someone around to conferences and churches to speak because I knew they were not ready. They have a great testimony, but they cannot handle the attention. They cannot handle the pride that comes out of that or the promise of success and fame and status and uh, even financial prosperity. 
So some of these problems have uh, been devastating to some of these people. Another issue is when you come out of Islam, you come from a completely different worldview. And so if you are not discipled appropriately and you do not receive a new mind, so to speak, new worldview, the Christian worldview, Christian lifestyle, uh, it's hard for you to break away with the past, especially with the past habits and sins and also uh, habits of thought, not only of lifestyle, uh, doctrine and theology, image of God, image of Christ, and uh, what it takes to be a true Christian. So all these uh, issues I have seen as causes of backsliding. And so we need to work on uh, how to avoid seeing these wonderful uh, brothers and sisters fall away uh, from the faith. We need to return to the model of Jesus. Let's learn from Jesus what he did. The first thing Jesus did in his ministry at the age of 30, he went about to speak, to teach, to preach, but he was also looking for specific people that he could train, invest his life into, teach them, and then leave them to uh, reach the world and teach the world and make disciples of all nations. So he chose a team, chose 12 people, he concentrated on three of them, and I believe that each one of those three was responsible for another three, making um, four teams of three, and that's 12. I have observed in the scripture the element of number 12. We have 12 tribes in the Old Testament. We have tribe, 12 disciples in the New Testament. And then I noticed also that in Luke 10, the 12 became 72. 72 is divisible by 12, making six groups of 12. In Acts chapter 1, uh, there was 120 people. Why uh, didn't say 119 or, or 125? There is some kind of message there that the number 12 is a small group that you can handle. One person can handle three, and the three can handle three each, making a team of 13 people, one leader with 12. So uh, let us think of the model of Jesus and see if we can try it. I have challenged some pastors sometimes when they share with me that they're frustrated, they don't see growth in the church, and they see a lot of people leaving the church and not many new coming in, uh, especially that not many of them are new converts but they are coming from other churches. I've challenged them to follow in the steps of Jesus and the model of Jesus and see what happens. I have personally tried uh, and, um, and have seen a great success in Kosovo when I began with a small team and the team began to multiply and grow. And today, thankfully, we have over 15,000 converts uh, from 62 churches. Uh, in the last 17 years. Jesus made disciples. He walked with them. He ate with them. He invested uh, his time with them, uh, traveled with them, 
and uh, dealt with the issues, with the problems. They watched his life. They saw how he treated with uh, people, and they learned from him. And he kept reminding them that he is their teacher, and that I'm teaching you this so that you can follow in my example. Let me now share with you the importance of discipleship from the perspective of Jesus himself. Toward the end of his life, after he had appeared for 40 days to his disciples, um, after the resurrection, Jesus had a very intimate dis- uh, uh, discussion with, uh, John, with Peter. In uh, the Gospel of John 21, verse 15, we read these words. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? They were looking at the other disciples, and uh, Jesus took uh, apparently Peter on the side and said to him, do you love me more than these people, more than these other disciples? Now, Jesus here asks Peter three times if he loved him. And three times Peter assures him, yes, I love you. Let us read this text. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Basically what uh, Jesus is saying to Peter, that if you really love me, you take care of my little babies of my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Now, the Greek for the word take care is the same word for shepherd. So, in the verb, shepherd my sheep. So, the language changes here from feed my lambs to shepherd my sheep or take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Notice the language. Feed my lambs shepherd my sheep, and continue to feed my sheep. If Jesus said these things as the last words between him and Peter, don't you think it's important? Don't you think it is also for us that we must take care of the lambs to shepherd them and feed them and continue to feed them to see them to full maturity? If you were a mother and you... Uh, the Lord gave you a baby, what would you do with this baby? Would it be right to uh, not nurse the baby? Not to give them the milk they need to survive? Not to take care of them, feed them, clean them, put them to sleep? If you ignore the baby like this, it's a a crime. It's a a punishable crime. Uh, There are some women who have deserted their babies have not taken care of them, and they were um, 
taken to court for that. It should be a spiritual crime for us to bear children and not to take care of them. Sadly, many uh, workers, missionaries, and uh, pastors and Christian workers, all they think about is leading people to the point of decision. They come to know Jesus Christ, they confess their sin, they repent, they become born-again Christians, and then they are left alone, ignored, and uh, the missionary or the worker begins to work with others to bring them also to Christ. It is very imperative that we follow in the steps of Jesus to make disciples, but also what he ordered us to do, to feed his lamb, to take care of them, and continue to feed them until full maturity. We see, I, I'll give an example. We see the same thing in nature. A tree begins with a small seed or little plant. That seed takes root. The root needs to go deeper. And as it goes deeper and gets the nourishment from the ground, from the soil, it starts coming outside, blossoming, becoming a plant, and the plant is watered and taken care of, and the sun interacts with it, and then it gets more nourishment and becomes a tree. And the purpose of the tree is that it will blossom and become mature enough to bear fruit, especially if it is a fruit tree. Likewise, uh, a baby is born, he is nursed by the mother, uh, there's a milk phase, there's a phase of the soft food. I remember when our kids were little, after uh, being nursed and uh, weaned, or before they even weaned, we used to crush rice and soften it for them, or bananas, make it very soft so they can eat it. Uh, they, can, they cannot handle meat and potatoes, they cannot handle solid food yet. So there are three stages of development for the baby. One is the milk phase, then the soft food phase, and then the solid uh, food, which is meat and potatoes and other things. In the same way, we need to see the uh, children of God as babies grow and mature. It, it is a great joy for me to see people develop and grow, and I see transformation in their lives. I see how they can handle life's issues. Some of them um, get persecuted. Uh, we need to help them, uh, nurture them enough before they face that, uh, that persecution so that they are strong on their feet. Many of them are afraid to share because they don't feel they're ready to, um, to be persecuted or to be rejected by their friends or their families. And so they need to be strong uh, and have developed strong muscle so they can stand on their feet. And that is uh, very uh, easy to do if we were to just follow certain principles of discipleship. The first two things that every new convert needs to learn are assurance of salvation and 
confidence in a new identity in Christ. Let's look at 1 John 5, 11 to 12. The Apostle John here is assuring uh, the Christians of their salvation. This is extremely important, especially that Muslims come from a background where they're not sure of what uh, will happen to them. I have talked to many Muslims, even scholars and imams and sheikhs, who uh, say, I don't know if I will be saved. I'll do all I can and leave the rest to God. So uh, the Muslim convert needs clarity about the fact that once they believe in Jesus Christ, they put their faith in Him, they receive Him as their Savior, they repent of their sin, that their sin is forgiven and they have eternal life. And here are the words from 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony God has given us. Um, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. It's important that uh, uh, they have confidence when they come uh, to before the Lord that they know that God has forgiven them. I often give the image of uh, God being an awesome and great majestic God, which Muslims believe in. But that same awesome and majestic and glorious God who can do everything, and He can even destroy us, He's also the one who loves us and died for us and adopted us as His children so we can call Him Abba, Father. That kind of confidence is necessary to assure them of their salvation. This is only one verse. There's a lot of other scriptures that deal with this issue. The second thing is a new identity. As a Muslim, identity comes with your birth. You're born in a Muslim family, therefore you're a Muslim. You're born in a certain country. Some people say, if I'm a Turk, I'm a Muslim. If I'm Moroccan, I'm a Muslim. If I'm a Saudi, I'm a Muslim. I pray that this will change. That those who know Jesus Christ from any background, national or ethnic or linguistic or political, any background or religious background, they find a new identity in Christ. And in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, this is one of the memory verses that every uh, convert needs to learn. This was one of the first verses that I have learned as a new believer. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is the identity of the new believer. We are in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
uh, it's uh, critical that uh, the convert knows that before the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a new, uh, a new person, has new opportunities. Uh, it's like a clean slate. All his past has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, his sins, his old habits and everything. But it's also critical that we begin to embrace the new life. It doesn't say automatically, if you're in Christ, that uh, you are completely a different person the next day. You're a new creature, meaning we have, you're like a new baby. You need to start all over again to grow. And this growth requires that we put off the old and put on the new, a new way of thinking, new lifestyle. Um, what I have found with the many uh, Muslim converts is that they keep their old lifestyle. They want to come to Jesus Christ to get blessings. They want forgiveness. They want new, new life, eternal life. Or they like the Christian community. They're attracted to freedom in Christ. There are those who say, you know, I didn't like how I grew up because we were uh, restricted. We couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. Now as a Christian, I have freedom. Uh, this is in a way uh, true, but it's also immature. So we need to help them develop a new mindset, something we're going to cover in the coming lessons, and a new lifestyle. Um, a lot of them don't pray regularly. They don't have personal devotions every day. They don't memorize the scripture. They don't study. And I've discovered in my travels in North Africa that many of the newcomers don't even go to church because going to church is something you have to do. And we, they were told that uh, it's by grace alone that you are saved, not by works. And uh, attending mosque, praying, fasting, all of these was works. So now we tell them that you don't need to do anything. You just come to the Lord Jesus Christ, pray a certain prayer, and you will be saved. And you don't have to worry about some, anything else. One of the most difficult things I have found is that those who have grown by body and by years in the faith, uh, I find them difficult to um, hold them to spiritual disciplines. So right from the start, we need to teach them that uh, a Christian life is not about rules, but it's about principles to follow in your life. Principles that require you to do certain things, not because you have to, but because you know you want to grow because of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you want to grow in your holiness and in your spiritual life, and help yourself in that growth. As we begin to think about the stages of growth and development and maturity for converts, let us begin with those two things, assurance of their salvation and use as much scripture as possible, do a full Bible study so they understand and convinced in their heart that they are standing on the promises of God, they're on solid ground, but also that they have a new identity as new believers, new members of the body of Christ, and that they will be an organ that's active uh, in, the, in the church. And that new identity helps them in the new life.
that they're going to develop.